Hello and welcome to the Practice Drill Podcast, episode 44. This week, we talk about the struggles with the bottom four teams in the NRL. Then we review the Super Rugby semifinals and look towards the big dance this weekend. And then we give you an update on the NBA finals, absolutely loving it. And we finish off with our newly named The Bullet Pass segment. Um, and can't wait to get into that. Got some really juicy topics to talk about there. Shout out to Sencho uh, for providing that killing intro and introducing my good mate Blaze McKee. Blaze, mate, what a great weekend of sport we had. Full eight games of rugby league and, and the Super Rugby Finals, which I, I know you were really excited about. Yeah, definitely really exciting. It was also cool to see the Wallabies uh, squad named and the All Black squad named for their upcoming internationals. Um, actually had a crack at naming my own Wallaby squad and managed to get 30 out of the 35 that, wow. that were named. So was pretty happy with that. You know, the rugby nuffy in me really came out there as I was trying to pick who's the third prop from uh, the Super Rugby sides. It was, was a bit of a tough task, but, but I got through it in the end. Mate, you're just like me with uh, the Maroons. I picked my Maroon squad in, in March, and I'll tell you what, very far off. So I'll, I'll tip my hat to you, mate. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a silly question, but uh, I'm guessing outside of the selections of, of the Wallabies and, and the New Zealand All Blacks squads, uh, I'm guessing the, the Super Rugby semifinals was your favourite. A couple of really big wins that you also predicted. Yeah, I was two for two on the week, but there were some really close games and some games, both games actually didn't really go the way I expected, although the result came out that way in the end, and, and we'll get into it in the podcast, but yeah, really exciting time for rugby, obviously the end of the club season into some internationals, which is always good. And guys, for some reason, uh, the practice drill is becoming very popular on Twitter. We're getting the likes, people are sharing our stuff. We just got the right takes. Whatever sport it is, come to us, and I'll just give you the handle again if you need it. It's at T underscore practice drill. Go and follow us. We've actually got some really big people following us now, so uh, making moves at the moment. So, Blaze, let's get straight into it. A really good intro there. Um, But as I said, um, we're going to be talking about what is happening at the bottom of the NRL ladder. Unfortunately, um, one of my... not one of my, my team is coming last. Um, but it seems to be getting seriously shaky down the bottom. Three teams with no coach. You know, my team, the Titans, sitting dead last and, and their coach might be on the out. Um, and just to let you guys know, 13th Tigers, 14th Warriors, 15th Bulldogs, 16th Titans. We'll start off with the 13th, the 13th place West Tigers. And it's been a bit of a turbulent uh, fortnight for the West Tigers. Madge was axed about a week ago. Brett Kamali comes in as the interim coach and they basically say they're looking for a development coach. They want a new head coach who, who doesn't have any experience as a first grade coach. That's that's a really big call for, for a team that hasn't, who's having the longest drought, finals drought in the NRL at the moment. So what do you make of that? Do you think that's a, a little bit of a, an interesting call for them to, to say? Yeah, it is a risk. But I but I also think some of these teams have been down the bottom now for a while and, and have some pretty established coaches. You know, Madge is a pretty established coach in the NRL and, and he hasn't been able to do a job. I do think part of the problem with some of these teams down the bottom is that they, you know, they just go with the tried and tested and, and it hasn't really worked for them. So... Maybe going outside the box and, and bringing in a coach that's going to 
bring in some new styles or, or something that we haven't really seen in the NRL for a while and, you know, change it up might be a good thing. But is it more about finding the right coach for that group? You know, Madge, um, from all reports, we obviously don't know him personally, um, is a bit militant in his training process and the way that he coaches the side. You know, we got a glimpse into it with um, Tales from Tigerland or Tiger Town or whatever it was called. Um, we got a glimpse into it, which was great. But I don't know with that kind of young team, do they resonate with a, a guy like Madge? I just don't think that, that there's that chemistry between those two sides. I'm still of the mindset. I know you said, well, they've tried that. They need to try something different. I I understand that. But I would be thinking, and I'm not sure who that coach is, whether it's Shane Flanagan, whether it's um, Paul Green, whoever it is, they need someone who they resonate with. And I'm not sure if there is that person in the market. I know um, Seraldo, the Panthers um, assistant, has been mentioned. But... Trent Barrett was the Panthers' assistant, goes to the Dogs, and it doesn't work. So maybe it's just the Panthers' assistants look great um, and are highly spoken about, but they're in a really good system. So I think that's really interesting. But look, Brett Kamali, and I think this is nothing against him, um, got pumped in his first game as uh, as a coach, um, 30-4. to I will give them credit. Great first half. 6-4 was the score at halftime. The game got away with them. Brent Naden with the spear tackle um, got sent off. Not even Sinbin sent off. So they were playing with 12 men and, and it just didn't work. But I do think they run the risk of, of losing to the Bulldogs. They're obviously coming hot off a win and we'll get into that shortly. Um, but what do you think with that Bulldogs-Tigers matchup? Who, who comes out on top? Yeah, I was really impressed with the Bulldogs last week. And obviously, if you look at the form, you'd have to say the Bulldogs. But I guess the Tigers are going to be looking to bounce back as well. So that could actually be a really interesting game, even though it's two of the bottom teams yeah. on, the, on the table. But sometimes that's even better. If you get them evenly matched, it's usually a very entertaining game. Um, now onto the 14th-placed Warriors. They're facing a really interesting and challenging moment in their history, from my point of view. You know, ever since their... You know, injection into the into the National Rugby League is is they've been based in Auckland. COVID forced them to come across. They've made huge sacrifices, but now it's starting to ease, and it's starting to to get towards the time where they've got to transition back home. And yet they're losing their head coach. Nathan Brown said, "You know, I've been moved around. It's, it's a family decision. Really respect that from him. Um, I, I'm sure it's frustrating for Warriors fans." and for the staff there. But I think he's doing the right thing by his family. But then you've also got Ewan Aiken. Reese Walsh has come out and said he will go to New Zealand, but we're not sure whether he'll sign on there. Um, what do you make of this? Do, do you also agree that this is a really challenging moment in their history? Yeah, definitely a challenging moment. I mean, for me, as someone, you know, my dad's obviously a rugby coach and our family have moved around quite a bit. For me, when you're in the rugby business, that's part of the game. But I can understand, I guess, other people, you know, want to keep their family in Australia and different things like that. But it is a bit strange given that it was always a known thing that they were going to move back to New Zealand at some point. But for the Warriors, I think it's a really good opportunity to, you know, reconnect with a bit of their culture and, and, you know, get some New Zealand talent. Obviously, Stacey Jones has taken over as interim coach. I don't know whether he'll be the long-term option, but... 
when I look at the Warriors team, I think a real point of difference that they can bring is that cultural aspect um, and that connection back to culture, back to their Maori, Maori roots back in New Zealand. And I think this is a really good opportunity for them to, to really, I guess, drive that culture and create something really strong and, and you know, get some connection back with the fans and also to some players and, and hopefully have a bit more success. So you're seeing it as a chance to kind of reset, go back, go back to New Zealand, reset... Um, no, I, re- I really like that. But obviously, it's a different situation, and we're not trying to compare Nathan Brown's situation to to your situation. Um, but but like you said, your your dad was was a head coach with big international teams, Tonga, Fiji. Um, what is what is it like? What has he said? It's it's like not to pry too much in, but like. It's obviously a really difficult thing to be away from family, but he was always coming back and, and, and you know, you guys were going over there as well. Yeah, I think there's there's ways around it. And as I said, unfortunately, the, the nature of rugby is that there's only a limited amount of jobs yeah. in Australia, in particular for rugby union. Obviously, rugby league's a little bit different and maybe Nathan Brown, you know, has been working on something in the background. Well, you could argue that rugby league would be even harder to keep a job because you've got to think about union. They have World Cups that are actual World Cups. Um, and yes, there's the rugby league world cup. Come, but come on. Um, so you'd have to say there are there are jobs, big French leagues, English leagues, and then you've got the Super Rugby. So you'd say it's even more of a riskier decision to say no. I'm not going over to New Zealand with there only being you know 16 NRL teams. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure he has something working on in the background. But yeah, for me, it's just a weird one. I think it's part of the game. Um, yeah, it is a tough one because obviously you want to you want to stay with your family and whatever, and, and obviously that's the decision they've made. But yeah, I guess we were always of the mind that you know you go where the work is, and, and yeah. that's the way it is. So, and for me, I think the Warriors they were they're always been the New Zealand Warriors. This was always a temporary fix. Obviously, it has extended out maybe a bit longer than they thought, but they were always going to move on back to New Zealand. And when you sign a multi-year deal with them. Yeah. To me, it was always going to be part of that contract was going to be in New Zealand. But anyway, as I said, it's a really, I guess, interesting opportunity for the Warriors. And I, I think they can, you know, really, yeah, make some, I guess, positive movements from this decision. Yeah, well, good luck to Nathan Brown in the future. And it is, it's going to be a very interesting time for the New Zealand Warriors. Now on to the 15th place Bulldogs. Huge, huge upset victory against Parramatta. I'll tell you what, Parramatta are ruining my 8 out of 8 chances week in, week out. Another 7 out of 8 tipping for me. Um, No one saw this coming, but they kind of just got on them early. And it was all the little things. What I think the biggest little thing that I saw was Matt Burton staying in the play and, and knocking the ball out of Mitchell Moses' hand as he went over to score. Um, it was a great game from him and possible return of Josh Adokar to the Blues team. Yeah, I think Josh Adokar's definitely probably played his way into it. Obviously, two great showings the last week and we'll get into it, but a few dramas around the origin. Uh, selection issues, particularly with, the I guess, the rep round coming up. But for the Bulldogs, yeah, Matt Burton was incredible. He He also kicked incredibly well and and kept the Eels on the back foot. And for the Eels, it was a really disappointing showing. They've had some pretty amazing results this year against the top teams, but they've really shown a lack of, I guess, 
you know, polish against the uh, against the lower teams, and and this is a game they really would have expected to win and probably win quite comfortably. And yeah, it probably shows that although they'll definitely be in and around the finals this year, I think they struggle to go all the way. Yeah, so it they did show great potential, the Bulldogs, but they've only won three games now all year. Um, coach sacked, as we spoke about before, Trent Barrett. Um, so they've got an interim coach at the moment. But where to for them? Where where do you see them finishing? Are they still going to finish in this bottom four? Yeah, I think they will still finish in the bottom four. Unfortunately for the Bulldogs, I think where to, they've just got to look to each game as it comes. And, and they've got a really interesting matchup against the, the Tigers this week. As you said, they've just got to look to that and, and get another win. And I guess if you can start stacking some positive results and you know, you start to turn around, I guess, the the feeling in the group. And, and before you know it, you might have got three or four wins. So for them, they just need to keep looking week by week and, and looking to improve. And, and it's a big opportunity again this weekend. Now, uh, take it easy on this, on this team. The 16th place Gold Coast Titans on a four-game losing streak. And I mentioned before, you know, within these four, four teams, there's three of them with interim coaches and the titans are the only one to still have their coach and they're coming last so holbrook must be in trouble but you have to admit there hasn't been too much noise about it do you think that's because of the gold coast titans it's not really a thing in the media that sells papers or or do you think he actually is safe and it's just a a bit of growing pains at the moment for the titans yeah, probably a bit of column A, a bit of column B. Obviously, the Titans, you know, are not a big market team, I guess, to use an NBA uh, term there. But I think Holbrook, you know, is well known that although they've struggled, he's done a pretty good job at, at bringing players to the Titans and, I guess, developing a pretty good but young list, which must be said, you know, Tino, Brimson at the back, you know, they they're not got a lot of experience in their spine. So that might be one thing that's, I guess, saving him is that, you know, he's developed quite a strong list. I think it's well known that if they can keep those players together for two or three years, they might have some success. But then it's always the catch-22 of, you know, can you wait long enough to get those results and suffer, you know, poor results in the short term? And that's a balance, I guess, that's always got to be struck. Yeah, that, that's a great take. But you mentioned a couple of names there in Tino and David Fafita. They're obviously been the big marquee signings coming into the 2021 season. Would you say that the cash that they splashed on those two has worked? Has it worked for what they wanted to accomplish? Made top eight last year. Now they're last. What do you think? Yeah, if you're looking at the results right now, you'd have to say it hasn't worked. But, you know, Fafita has been injured for a long part of this year. And I think when he has played long you know, period of game, he's shown his ability. Tino's obviously struggled a little bit this year. I think maybe the captaincy, he struggled a bit I'm with gonna, that pressure. I'm going to have to disagree. I think he's been by far their best player. I think at times, if there's the perception of him struggling that, that you just said, I think it's because he's trying too hard to actually get the team going forward. I think he leads from the front all the time. Played great on the weekend, but I think he plays great all the time. And I think his leadership is by far not the problem of this team. First-year captain, really young. Like, he's only a year older than us. Um, But, yeah, I just had to stop you there. I understand what you think. 
Matino has been by far the Titans' best player as a person who watches all their games, by far their best player. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it back to you so you can finish your take, but I just had to get in there. I think his maybe his on-field performance being quite good. I just mean around the captaincy, you know, some of his decision-making or, you know, maybe his ability to really, you know, talk to the guys behind the post and, you know, give those key messages has been a bit lacking. But as you say, very young captain, and his performance has still been quite good. So... Yeah, in you know, as of right now, you'd probably say no, but as we said, you've probably got to give these guys maybe another 12 months and, and see how they are then. Yeah, I do agree with when you were talking about, like, I think with the with the captaincy and the decision-making, there was that short drop-out, uh, sorry, short kick-off against the Broncos when they were up, which was really silly. Um, but I think you have to give them until the end of their contracts. and And by then you go, okay... Well, if you make two out of three finals, three out of three, I can't say they're making it from here. All honesty hurts me to say. Um, but look, they're, they're, it's not even a close margin between them and them and eighth. So um, really disappointing as a Titans fan. But uh, yeah, staying impartial. And I think you just got to wait till the end of the contracts, then make your call. You can't make it halfway through. Um, but on to topic number two. Super Rugby semi-finals, some really juicy, juicy matchups. The Crusaders against the Chiefs, Blues, Brumbies. As we said in the intro, you know, you predicted that the Crusaders and the Blues would win. You did say, though, that you wanted to go with your heart, and we'll get to that game at the second game with the Brumbies. But uh, oh, so close. But but tell me about the Crusaders Chiefs games, twenty to seven, uh, a good scoreline for the Crusaders, but it looked like a really tight game. Yeah, it was a really strange game. The conditions down in Christchurch were pretty horrible. I think the wind they said was you know up to twenty five kilometers an hour, so there was obviously a lot of kicking, and you know teams with the wind at their back kicked a lot and, and tried to keep the ball down that end the the Chiefs actually dominated the whole game and they probably bombed three or four pretty easy tries where they had to make one final pass and the pass either went behind or over into touch and had they scored those they obviously would have won the game Crusaders on the other hand you know scored some long range tries I think they had a try from 80 meters and and maybe one from about 60 meters and ultimately you know that clinical nature got them the win um you know they had to make 240 54 tackles in the game which i think is a record for for the super rugby wow um yeah so they didn't play a lot with the ball but when they had the ball they were really clinical to make that many tackles and still walk away with a 14 point win like you did say chiefs dominated the game and they did but for the crusaders to still win by two converted tries or you know close to um is really really impressive um is there anyone that the Crusaders... Now, there was a little bit of an injury concern for the Crusaders. Do you think that'll be fine going into the grand final? Yeah, there were a few. I think David Harvili, uh may have broken his jaw, so I'm not sure about him. He, I guess that's one thing where he probably shouldn't play, but maybe because of because it's a final, he might painkiller up and get out there. Pablo Matera was red-carded, you know, received two yellow cards in the first half which I guess a little quirk about rugby union compared to rugby league. You get two yellow cards, you're, you're then red carded for the match. So he'll have to go to a judiciary. I guess for the Crusaders, they'll be arguing that his first yellow card in particular was a was a factor of repeated 
uh, infringements and rather than any foul play. So they'll be arguing that I guess he shouldn't be suspended, but that's still going to be a bit of an issue for them going into this week. And what about the Blues Brumbies? A one-point win to the Blues. RTS, shout out to you, mate. Congratulations. Also got picked um, in the All Blacks squad, which is unbelievable. I think, although we're not shocked, it is cool that you know straight away he's been able to to make that impact in the game and and make it to the pinnacle of the sport of rugby union is playing for the All Blacks. Um, but talk talk me through it. Nail biting, narrow loss for the Brumbies. Yeah, the Blues got out to a really fast start and led half time at twenty to seven. I think we spoke last week about their really exciting backline, and their guys like Bowden Barrett, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, and, and Rico Yuano were pretty incredible in that first half. And they really blew the Brumbies off off the park. They played with a real pace that the Brumbies just couldn't keep up with, and and they were scoring tries you know, particularly on kind of turnover ball and counter-attack, which was really impressive. And, and I was a little bit worried for the Brumbies at half-time, but, you know, they mounted a comeback. They probably slowed the game down a little bit and, and you know, carried more through their big forward pack. Guys like Rob Valentini were, were really impressive. And, yeah, they got themselves within one point, and they, they did have an opportunity to win the game. They, they took a field goal after full-time. Probably, in my opinion, rushed it a little bit. Um, you know, the field goal ended up being from about 40 metres out, whereas, you know, traditionally you'd see the team hold on to the ball a bit more and, I guess, get closer to maybe that 22 region before taking their shot. But live by the sword, die by the sword, they, they took the shot and unfortunately missed. Just heartbreaking, but now we're on to the final stage of the Super Rugby season and... To be honest, you probably got the two best teams playing in the Blues and Crusaders. Going to be a great matchup Saturday night, Eden Park. You were right with the semi-finals. I feel like you've been right the whole way through. Maybe a little bit of bias with the Tars, but come on, give us your prediction, and then everyone hop on it on whatever betting platform uh, you're on. I think you know the Blues have been the most impressive side this year. Obviously, they only just won against the Brumbies, but. I think at home they're going to be, you know, pretty hard side to beat. Um, yeah, and also I guess the rugby fan. There's not many rugby fans that aren't Crusaders fans that would support the Crusaders in, in any game. So, yeah, I've got to back the Blues in for this one. And yeah, oh, I don't know. We'll go Roger Tuivasa, Sheikh Man of the Match. Just to really, how many tries? How many tries? I think maybe only one try, but maybe a few tries, sis. So. Hopefully, hopefully the Blues can come out on top, eh? Well, for me, I'll go Crusaders just to be just to be a pain. You know, they're they've been a dominant side. They've got a little bit of Melbourne Storm about them, which you know I like. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll stick with your word. You're the one that that knows the sport. Um, but Eden Park, such a such a cool ground. So really excited um, for this game. Blues. Dollar seventy-five, not bad. But if you go with me, Crusaders two dollars and eight cents. Come on, come on. Uh, but let's move on to the third topic: NBA Finals. You know this is where this is where all my attention's been, um, especially during the week when there's no rugby league. Um, Warriors now up three-two. We're recording this um, the day after Game Five, where the Warriors actually ended. Um, 
a really impressive streak from the Boston Celtics. They the Celtics hadn't lost back to back games since March. So we know it's been reported about a lot if you follow the NBA that the Celtics um, haven't lost back-to-back games throughout the playoffs. They've been really impressive in in bouncing back. But they lost game four in Boston, had to go back to the Bay, couldn't get it done against Golden State. There was a time there, especially in the third third quarter, which has throughout the series been um, Golden State's quarter. In fact, they're, they're plus 40 coming into that game when in points difference when it comes to that quarter, which is the highest out of any quarter in NBA Finals history between the difference between the two teams, which is really impressive. Um, but the Celtics obviously came out for once and went, no, this is we're not going to let you dominate. Put a point of emphasis on there. Took them five games to do so, may I add. Um, but that's when the game really swung back. They... They were able to overturn a 16-point deficit but couldn't carry it on. Um, Tatum and Brown kind of struggled in patches. But the man that was able to help calm the Warriors and then give them the lead was Andrew Wiggins, of all people. Um, Obviously not a part of the big three for the Warriors with Green, Thompson, Curry. Um, But they're almost forming a big four there with him. He's been unbelievable. I would call him the hero of Game 5. 26 points, 13 rebounds. His rebounding's been amazing. And all of that, and the win for Golden State, with Curry having his worst game of the series with only 16 points. I've rambled on there. I've given the listeners everything they need to know. But what did you think of... Last time we were talking, it was 2-1 Boston lead. I was nervous. You were nervous about it for the Warriors. But now, since then, they've won back-to-back games, and and now it's it's really in their control. They've got one hand on the trophy. Yeah, it's been a really exciting series. I think you know, on your last point, it's really good to see Andrew Wiggins step up in that big moment. Obviously, came into the league as a pretty highly touted talent, yeah. and you know, he's been around it. been around a few teams, but obviously found a great spot there at the Warriors and. I think, you know, although I think Wiggins is definitely better than a role player, it shows the importance of having those extra guys on your roster that can step up when it matters because ultimately in a seven-game series, guys like Steph Curry aren't going to be able to be amazing in every single one of those games. So to have a guy like Wiggins, as you say, probably the fourth guy on that team to be able to step up with a performance when it matters is really important. And, you know, it might have just turned the series, as you say, in the Warriors' favour to get them the trophy. Well, I felt the whole series that he was the second guy, if I'm being completely honest. But you've got to give the respect to Draymond Green, three-time champion, Clay Thompson, three-time champion, and, and and what they've been able to accomplish in their career in that championship DNA. Wiggins didn't have that, so he's not going to be labelled in the big three. But with this side and the way that he's been playing, he is the second best player. What has annoyed me coming out of the game not deeply annoyed me but is that he had one good he had one outstanding game outstanding best player for the Warriors but then people on Twitter and I was going at him don't worry guys that's why I need to follow us at T underscore practice Drew on Twitter people saying Wiggins coming out of nowhere to take finals MVP I'm like what are you talking about what are you talking about Steph Curry has been unbelievable and the game after, 
when we last spoke. 43 points that man scored. He is a walking bucket. He's unbelievable. And just because he got triple teamed for an entire game, they go, nah. I'm pretty sure he topped assists for the Warriors. So it wasn't like he was doing nothing. Um, he did struggle and he did end, which is also something I just wanted to add before we look towards game six, is I think it was something like 233 straight games of hitting a three. Um, he hadn't not made a three in in any playoff game in his career. Um, and what was the other one? There was another stat. Uh, multiple threes as well in, in NBA playoff games. Um, all NBA best in, in history. And it all ended in game five because he went 0 of 9 from, from deep, which is very, very strange. But um, look, it's happened and, and uh, we move on. But looking towards game six, it goes back to Boston. It'll be on Friday Australian time where it is do or die for the home side. And I'm sure the last thing they want is Golden State to be lifting the Larry O'Brien trophy in front of the Boston fans. Um, what are your predictions coming to this game? Do you, We've kind of spoken about it going seven the whole time. Is this the moment where it does go seven? Yeah, I think although obviously the Celtics have lost back-to-back games, but I think in front of their home crowd, they're going to be pretty you know, pumped up to, to get the job done and at least force Golden State to, into that Game 7. So, yeah, I think Boston Boston will get the win and push it to 7, but, you know, the, the Warriors are going to be, you know, have momentum on their side and will be looking to, I guess, spoil the party in Boston and that would be a pretty cool thing to see. You know, obviously in front of all that, you know, Boston crowd, they're a pretty raucous bunch, so... It would be cool for the Warriors to maybe get it done, but I think it will go to seven. Yeah, either way, I guess you brought up a really good point. They have been very aggressive towards the Warriors players, so I'm sure they would love to lift that trophy as as the ultimate last word. Um, But I am a big fan of teams winning on their home floor. It just makes it so much more of a spectacle instead of them lifting the trophy and the the crowd's a little bit dead, people, you know, filing out. They don't want to stick around. Um, but you spoke about Warriors' momentum, and I guess what everyone's expecting since it's Game 6 is Game 6 Clay. Um, he's played 12 Game 6s, averages over 20 points um, in Game 6s. He actually averages less in each of the other games, um, but it's his shooting from deep, averages over 50% from three in Game 6s alone. So I guess everyone's really excited to see if that returns, but um, yet to see, and, and that'll be really... Um, you know, a highlight for me um, for the rest of the week. But let's move on to the newly named the Bullet Pass round. It's, it's got a ring to it, I'm telling you. Um, where, if you guys are new to listening, segment where we quickly talk about a few topics that we couldn't cover in the lengths that we have over the last three, um, but we think is important to get into. And, and as always, Blaze, I'll be starting. And you mentioned it the other week. You were talking about the Pacific Islander players and and this game two of origin where there's the clash with the rep round and and the the pacific island matchups on the saturday um tupo and stags have given their allegiance to tonga after playing for new south wales in game one um do you think we're going to see more from both teams there's obviously josh papaliti's been one who in the past has said that he wanted to to represent um his his country um do you think we're going to see more 
I think we definitely will see more of this, you know, scheduling clash keeps recurring. I dare say after this year, the NRL might look to, to change it. It's pretty frustrating that I think since, I guess, Jason Tamalolo kind of had his little issue with the Maroons' Tongan selection, maybe four, four or five seasons ago, this has been a bit of an issue, but it hasn't really been worked out. I guess as someone that's, you know, spent some time in the Pacific, it's really cool to see, from my perspective, these players want to represent, you know, their families over the Blues and... Yeah, I think it is going to be an issue moving forward and we will see more of it, but I also think the NRL is going to do a pretty uh, you know, thorough job over this next season to, I guess, try to prevent these clashes from happening in the future. You're 100% right. What have you got for me? Staying on the NRL, I think one of your favourite players, Felice Cafusi, has been found not guilty for his elbow on Sam Walker. Obviously, there's a lot of chat on whether you know this was a deliberate act. He's obviously... You know, there was some footage that showed he might have been a culprit of this in the past as well. Do you think this is the right call or do you think there should have been some harsher punishments there? 100% the right call. And I'm not just saying that as uh, a, f- a fan of the Storm, a fan of the Maroons. Um, I think we've got to think about what is happening in that footage. There's two things. The first thing is, and I'll try and cover it as quickly as possible, Sam Walker's dragging him down on top of him, which is the first mistake. And Angus Crichton is grabbing him and pulling him down on top of Sam Walker. So all the momentum is coming down. And obviously, you know, there would be similarities in union. But especially in league is the whole game is about getting quick play the balls. And if you fall down on your forearms, you're actually able to get up and play the ball quickly. And that's all he's trying to do. He's trying to get his arm free from the tackle so that he can land, get up, play the ball. And now, unfortunately for Sam Walker, is that not only was he... He wasn't dragging him straight down. He was on the right side of his of Kafusi's body, dragging him down, and he's copped an elbow. Um, so to think um, that that's a deliberate act is, is actually, I think, really offensive to the player, like... There's not many people that would do that. I do understand, though, that Kafusi has... There's been elbow stuff in the past. What I think is unfortunate is that this happens all the time for numerous players and um, going to go out on... on You know, say, say what I mean. It's anti-Melbourne Storm rhetoric. It has to be because everyone does it. We spoke the other week about um, blockers and the statues... You know, you were of the mindset, you know, I dare say everyone does it. Everyone does that as well because it's how you get a quick play the ball. Um, so that's my take on it. I believe it's the right call. Um, I was very shocked that they fought it because it was only a fine. But they fought it, not guilty. So there's there's nothing on him now. So, um, you know, really smart but from the Melbourne Storm. I asked you last week, Blaze, about... The, the Queen's birthday clash, big freeze at the G. What a, It was really, really good this year. Um, Demons against the Pies. You said Demons were going to win. They lost, and now they've lost three straight games. Frio, Swans, uh, Collingwood. Should they still be premiership favourites? I think they'll still be up there. Whether they're favourites, you know, I guess the worrying thing for them... It, particularly against the Pies, was that they got out to a lead, quite a sizable lead. And mm. I think the Demons from the last two seasons probably would have kicked away and, and won that game quite comfortably. But 
they allowed the Pies back into the game. It was obviously a really exciting game as a neutral fan. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the Pies managed to get up. So the Demons definitely have some things to work on there. They'll still be in the Premiership race, and I dare say they'll probably at least be in the Final Four. Yeah. Whether they're the favourites, I'm not sure. I think the AFL this year is quite close. You know, you've got teams like the Demons, obviously the Bulldogs, you know, don't want to get too high on them, the Swans. And then you've got teams like the Pies who will probably be in the lower section of that eight but have, have shown that they can, you know, match it with some of those big teams on their day. Really exciting. You're 100% right. Really like that take. Yeah, and to finish it off, I guess it would be rude not to mention the Socceroos' qualification to the World Cup in Qatar. Obviously, huge soccer fans on this podcast. So, Talk about it all the time. Yeah, what do you think this game means for, for soccer in Australia? And, yeah, will you be the Socceroos' number one fan going into this World Cup? I think I'm always the number one fan. Uh, look, um, absolutely huge. Um, it's very exciting penalties. Like, it actually is a, a, a spectacle in sport that is really hard to replicate across other sports. I mean, I guess something that's similar is um, tie breaks in tennis where it's kind of, it's a shootout. Um, And that was really exciting. And I think against all odds, Peru, you know, you'd have to say soccer would probably be their number one sport, whereas here you're probably looking fourth, fifth. Um, But huge for the Socceroos. It... I'm going to be honest, I didn't even know it was on. Um, there's a little bit of rugby in all of this. Um, but it, it, it is really exciting because I do always watch the World Cups. World Cups are, are really exciting to, to get around and and to see the best of the best. Um, although I'm not a huge soccer fan, it is an enjoyable spectacle. And if Australia wasn't in it, it would be a little bit, um, little bit boring. But look, they've done well. And I think we can officially say that the Socceroos are better than Italy since we qualified for the World Cup. So, um, look, we just deliver the hard facts here on, on the Practical Podcast. But uh, but I actually want to ask you, what, what do you think? Because you're also soccer mad. Yeah, again, did not watch the game, but the, the scenes down at Federation Square were pretty funny. I think it was Tony Armstrong for ABC was, <laughs> yeah, was yeah, celebrating. Yeah, yeah. And actually, he actually got his staff, staff uh, stolen at one point, had to run into the crowd, grab it back. But that was pretty funny and... Yeah, as you say, the World Cup, I think, in any sport is, is a pretty exciting thing. And, and to see the Socceroos in it just adds that extra, I guess, layer of relatability to to us when we're watching it. And I'm not sure who's in their pool, but... Oh, I actually saw it last wings. night. It's France, Denmark, and someone else who's not that good. So if we can cause an upset... Denmark we got to target Denmark go after them I think did we play them in the last World Cup and we almost I don't know we almost beat some powerhouse team don't ask me <laughs> do not ask me I do not know I could be talking you know out of nowhere out of thin air um, but that will do us enough soccer chat um, uh, Blaze what are you looking forward to in the next week of sport yeah, pretty obvious for me. Uh, Super Rugby Grand Final. It's actually a big week for Rugby Union. There's also the English Premiership Final with uh, Saracens playing Harlequins over in England. So they're two really exciting games that, yeah, I think everyone listening to this podcast will also be uh, tuning in for. There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that everyone's watching it. Everyone's got it dotted in the calendar. Um, for myself, it's a tough question. It's a really tough question. Um 
I'm looking forward to the Origin teams being picked on the weekend. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'll be interested to see what changes, if any, that Queensland make. You don't really have to make changes when you're the best. Um, but, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And the New South Wales team. I am, as a rugby league fan, really excited to see what they do because um, we spoke before we went on the trail. You know, will he be there? Um, with all the, the centres and outside backs kind of jumping ship don't blame them after a really disappointing loss for the blues um but anyway that will do us go and follow us at t underscore practice drill on twitter to stay up to date on all things nrl afl rugby union cricket and nba basketball until then uh enjoy your sport enjoy your week see ya